whenever I prepare uh, to teach, whenever I'm in a particular uh, section of the Bible, I'm always looking for a title. And I titled this morning's message, Body Ministry. And I believe it's because of what I was seeing in this text and also the need that I see within the body of Christ that we would seek to minister to one another. And so body ministry is the title. We're going to be in James chapter 5, looking at verses 13 to 16. I know that I told you last week we're going to finish, but I couldn't get through it. So we're going to finish, Lord willing, uh, next week. But anyway, let's, uh, let's start by reading a little bit of what we looked at last week, because I think it connects us to what we're going to look at today. Look at uh, chapter 5 in your Bibles at verse 10. James writes, he says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seeing the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. We learned last week that as Christians, we're called to patiently endure. We live in a world, as even Pastor Kyle was, was praying, and we're living in a world that it really has a lot of desperate issues going on in it. And as Christians, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We live in a world that it appears that things are coming apart at the seams around us, and they really are. But we're called to endure as Christians. We're called to keep our eyes fixed on eternity, fixed on above. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. As Christians, though, we do experience suffering in life. But with that suffering, we can also at the same time, and this is something that really only a Christian could really understand or come to understand, is that we could have suffering and we can have joy at the same time. It seems like they wouldn't go together but they really can because of the hope that we have in Christ. When asked the question, can joy and suffering coexist? One person responded like this, joy and suffering can be friends because Jesus, the suffering servant, made them so. I like that that suffering and joy can be friends. And for the Christian, it can be. We also read in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 30, verse 5, the second half of that verse, it says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I think all of us as Christians, we experience that quite often. We're in this place of what we would call suffering, 
But we also have this joy, this inner joy that this world can't take from us. It's something that the Lord has given us His joy. And we can experience that each and every day, even in a world that is like it is. We see and we read in in chapter 5 about the prophets and how they suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. And as we get into our text this morning, we read in verse 13, it starts out with, is anyone suffering among you or is anyone among you, excuse me, suffering? James says, what we should do with that is that we should pray then let him pray. And then he says, is anyone cheerful? And he says, let him sing psalms. I started thinking about our gathering together as the body of Christ. Even in this church and churches all over, and as Christians gather together, there is a sense that there is a suffering in our midst at a lot of different levels But we come here and there's also joy in this place. We're singing songs unto the Lord. And it's just, it's something miraculous that God does. Today we're going to read about suffering. We're going to read about cheerfulness. And we're going to read about sickness. It happens within the body of Christ. From verses... 13 to 18. If you look at your Bibles, you will find that there are seven times in these verses that James speaks about praying. He uses the noun and he also uses the verb. Seven times in this passage, we could almost make a whole study about prayer from these verses this morning. But let me ask you to raise your hand if any of you are suffering in any way. Is anyone suffering this morning here in this church? Raise your hand. A few? Okay, look around everybody. There there are some in this church that are suffering. Is anyone cheerful? Raise your hand. Hopefully everybody's raising their hand. Christians experience suffering. We're not exempt from it. But we also can have that joy and that cheerfulness in heart in our suffering. James tells us how we should respond in these verses how we should respond to suffering, and how we should respond to cheerfulness in heart. We respond by prayer. For those that are suffering, and that's why I say body ministry, for those that are suffering, we respond in prayer. For those that are cheerful, we respond by lifting up our voices to the Lord in praise and in worship singing psalms, even in this place. That's body ministry. It's praying and it's worshiping together. 
It's really what should be happening in this place. We come here to hear the Word of God, to pray for one another, to minister to one another. That's body ministry. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12.26, he says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You see, we, we learn to suffer with one another. We learn to come alongside one another. But we also learn that we can lift one another up. We can pray and we can worship together in this place. Your Bible, as you learn it, as you spend time in it, as you learn the promises that are found in the Word of God, you're going to see that joy and suffering quite often go hand in hand. Is anyone among you suffering? James says. He just spoke to us about enduring through suffering. James is writing to believers in this letter. He's speaking to the churches of his day. He's saying to those churches, to those believers, are there any among you who are suffering? These words could also be translated, is anyone among you afflicted? Is anyone suffering evil? Is anyone suffering hardship? Are any of you being afflicted? And as I broaden this issue out of suffering, we might have had more hands raised. Some of you are going, well, I don't know if I'm suffering or not. But suffering comes in a lot of different forms, in a lot of different ways. But we have suffering that comes from without, we have suffering that can come from our bodies. There's lots of ways in which we suffer. It has a lot of different sources to it. A lot of different ways that it comes upon us. And as I was thinking even about this text, as I was studying for it, the thing that was coming to my mind as I would see these clips coming across my computer about what's happening over there in the Ukraine. Pastor Kyle sent out about a, about a Calvary Chapel that's in the Ukraine over there that wrote something of what's going on. I don't know if you read it or not, but we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are in that country right now that are suffering for the cause of Christ. There are churches that are wanting to minister to the people that are being hurt there and killed there in that, that country. And they're suffering hardship during this time. Is any among you suffering? Are any among you being afflicted? And I believe that they are. And so what are we called to do? We're called to pray. 
We're called to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ. The churches that are there, that they would endure, that they would make a stand for the cause of Christ, that they wouldn't shrink back, that God would use them. We need to pray for them. And not just for the Ukraine, but for believers and churches all over this world. Are any among you suffering? I pulled out my list of all of your names. And as I looked over the list of the names of the people in this church, I started thinking about the many things that I'm aware of that you're suffering from. And the many things that I'm not even aware of that you are suffering from. I know that they're suffering in our midst. It'll never stop. It's part of the world that we live in. And we receive it at times at different levels, don't we? Sometimes it's very intense and sometimes not so much. But we always know that in the midst of this a group of people here, there is a certain amount of suffering that is going on. Is there any that are suffering among you? Then we're called to pray. We're called to come alongside. We're called to suffer with one another. To bear in each other's burdens. But we can do it with joy. We can have that inner joy that the Lord can give us. We can come and take a little bit of the burden off of one another as we come together and pray for one another and minister and serve one another. I read in the book of Acts in chapter 16 about an account of Paul and Silas when they were in prison. I believe that this is like a, it's a beautiful picture that we can have of suffering and joy and being a witness. All three of those coming together in one place at one time. You can look at your Bibles at Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, he turned and he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Here's where the the suffering began. And they brought them to the magistrates and they said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. And then the multitudes were told rose up together against them. And the magistrates, they tore off their clothes in blasphemy really. And they commanded them to be beaten with rods. 
And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison. That's like throwing them down into the pit of the prison. The inner prison. The dark, cold place down in the center of the prison. A place where no one would want to be. To keep them securely there. And having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and were told that they fastened their feet in stocks. I think that's suffering for Christ. I think that's suffering for the cause of Christ. For the things of God. For making a stand for Christ. And that will happen in our lives as we make a stand for Christ as we share our faith, as we're bold in our witness. But then it goes on to say, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were told they're praying and they're singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. What a picture. They're praying and singing hymns to God. Put yourself in that place of singing hymns as you're in that inner prison, shackled. You've been beaten with rods for the Gospel's sake. And then we're told when the prisoners were listening. (laughs) We see suffering. We see joy. And we see a witness. What a picture. James says, Are there any among you who are suffering? And our response is, we should pray. We need to pray. And look what he says. Actually, over these six verses, James says, pray yourself. We ought also individually to pray ourselves. We're also to get prayer from others. We're also to pray in faith as Christians. We're also called to pray for one another. We're called to pray effectively and fervently. We're called to pray earnestly. And lastly, we're called to keep praying. You see why we could do a whole study just on prayer in this text? I like what Pastor Chuck used to say to the pastors when we'd gather for a conference, he says, get your people praying and keep them praying. You see, there's nothing more valuable within the church than the people would pray. We need to pray for one another. I need your prayers and you need my prayers. At our Wednesday night prayer meeting that we're having, I believe that we're experiencing those that are coming out a move of God's Spirit in our midst. I'm hearing that from those that are coming. We're getting excited in this prayer meeting on Wednesday night here at 7 o'clock. By the way, you're all invited. We're spending time in the Psalms. We're reading the Psalms together and have an open dialogue about what we're reading. 
We're praying together. We're praying for many of you that are even not there. And I believe that God is doing something fresh in our midst. He's doing something fresh in that prayer meeting. And I believe that it's it's exciting. And you're all invited to come out. If you want to get stirred up, get around God's people. If you want to get stirred up and be in the presence of God's people that are excited in their relationship with Jesus Christ, they're excited to get into the Word of God. They desire to pray and to pray for one another. It'll have an effect upon your life. Is anyone cheerful? James says, let him sing psalms. Do you ever get overwhelmed in your heart, even when you're in a state of suffering to where you can't help but praise God? To lift up psalms to God is to sing unto the Lord. It can be with your lips, it can be from your heart. Another way that we could put it, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone of good cheer? Is anyone merry or of good spirits? Is anyone joyful? Is anyone well in soul? Is what it's saying. You see, the psalms that we have in our Bible, they're intended to be songs. They're intended to be sung. I remember sitting with a uh, a long-time friends of ours. They don't live in this state, but I remember Kathy and I sitting down with them one night and we were trying to remember all the songs through the years that we have learned that were taken from the Psalms. And there was almost a song for everyone. An artist has come up with the words and the lyrics to draw from one of these songs, one of the worship songs that we would sing. The nation of Israel would sing these psalms and it would cheer their hearts. It would put them in the right frame of mind again. You see, that's what worship will do. You come into this place, sometimes dreary and heavy laden. You come in with sorrow maybe on your heart. And then you begin to worship God and God can lift you up. Lift your soul up. In that time of worship, it's a pretty profound thing. When all of a sudden you come to this place in a state where you're burdened and heavy laden, and then you begin to worship the Lord, and He lifts you out of that state. He lifts you up. And He prepares your heart to hear the Word of God taught. He does that all through worship. And what that does is it brings the right perspective. It it puts you in the right perspective between you and God and who you're singing to, who you're lifting your heart up to. It prepares you to hear His voice. One of the Psalms, it's a, 
a psalm of thanksgiving is Psalm 100. You can turn there in your Bibles. It's only five verses. It says this, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Exclamation mark. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name, for the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. There's the lyrics. There's the song. There's what should create this joyfulness in our hearts. Psalm 33, verse 3, Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully, Kyle, with a shout of joy. Psalm 59, verse 16, But I will sing of Your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of Your mercy in the morning. For You have been my defense and refuge. Where? In the day of trouble. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Body ministry. Christians that are filled with God's Holy Spirit, making a spiritual songs unto the Lord from the heart. It's the evidence that you're even filled with the Spirit of God. Making melody in your heart to the Lord every single day. Not just at church, when you leave this place. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? I want to start by clearing up a few things about sickness about sickness and healing in our life. You see, Christians have, a lot of Christians have gotten it wrong. They've gotten it out of balance. They've had bad teaching in this area. And even this text that we're reading has been used to support, I believe, false teaching. A lot of false doctrines surround the issue of healing. Why do we get sick? The simple answer is we live in a, a world that is fallen. A world full of disease. We live in a fallen state in a world that all goes back to the garden. That man began to die. A curse was put upon this earth. Christians, we live in a fallen world and you will get sick. That's just the facts. You will grow old and you will one day die next to the rapture taking place. You will someday grow sick and die. 
That's just the facts. But sickness can also be a result of sin. We read in 1 Corinthians 11.30, For this reason, Paul wrote, Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. You see, the early church was corrupting the communion fellowship. Paul was warning the church, warning believers, those that were gathering together for the love feast, to be careful that they would not come into with a state like they were of unconfessed sins. They were corrupting what was to be holy. And there was sickness in their, in their midst. But it's important to note that not all sickness is a result of sin. Every time you get sick, you shouldn't be calling, well, maybe I'm in sin. Maybe, I'm do- maybe I've done something wrong. God's allowing this to come up because I'm doing something wrong. We need to be careful of that. In John 9, we read, as Jesus passed by one day, He saw a man who was blind from birth. And His disciples asked Him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that He was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in Him. You see, God has a plan and a purpose even in our infirmities, even at times in our sicknesses and in our suffering, that God to His glory can use you and use that. Sickness, excuse me, sometimes can have its origin from Satan. We know that God allowed Satan to touch Job in a physical way. He allowed him to experience boils on his body. God allowed it. And God does allow it sometimes to allow those things to come into our life. You see, every bit of suffering that you experience in life has to pass through the hand of God. And so is it well with my soul when I, at times when I find myself in a state of uncomfortableness? A state of suffering in life. God allowed the Apostle Paul to suffer with a thorn in the flesh. Some have thought that was a spiritual thorn. Some thought, think that it's a, it's a physical thorn that Paul had in, in his flesh. Some thought he had an eye issue. But whatever it was, that thorn in the flesh, we're told, was given as a messenger of Satan to buffet the Apostle Paul after he had seen that heavenly vision, those things in heaven that was even too hard for him to utter and to speak about. God buffeted him. God allowed that thorn in the flesh to remain. Paul prayed for that thorn to be removed three times, and it wasn't. And God told Paul that my grace is sufficient. We, at times, come to a conclusion that God has allowed this in my life. He's allowed this to come my way. 
But Lord, give me that enabling grace to live for You, to not turn from You, to not question You. But Lord, give me that enabling grace to have that joy in my heart to serve You in spite of my sufferings. We also need to know that God still heals. I don't believe that God ever stopped doing miracles. I believe that miracles are done today. I believe that there is divine healing that happens in the body of Christ today. But I also believe that there is a there are infirmities that we must endure in life. There are some things that we will never get a miraculous healing from. Even Paul himself told Timothy to take a a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. He also obviously had an issue. It wasn't like Paul just laid hands, okay, don't worry about it anymore, Timothy, you're healed. It doesn't work that way. God does heal. There are miracles that are done, but not always. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes it takes more faith to live with your infirmities than it is to receive a miracle from God. God, will I endure in the midst of my infirmities, my suffering? Will I stay looking to You in faith? I believe that a lot of damage has been done to the church by those who teach differently. They say that everyone can be healed and everyone should be healed. The problem with that kind of uh, theology and statement is that we all know that if you had a miracle today and five years from now you had another miracle, another healing in your life, there's going to come a point in your life where you're going to get sick and where you're going to die. You can't pray somebody out of death. You're not going to pray them out on every infirmity that will come their way. And God gives no promise that He's going to heal us in every case in life. But we need to know that one day, you're going to be completely healed. You're going to be no more sickness. You're going to have a new body, a glorified body. In Revelation 21.4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. Amen. Say it. Amen. Amen. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. You young ones, maybe you're not feeling it yet, but you will. James says, Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he committed sins, he will be forgiven. These verses are one reason why people 
often get the issue of divine healing wrong. They think it's like a formula. You know, get the elders out there, anoint them with oil, and then look for the miracle. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work like a formula that we do. James says, let him call for the elders, though. And keep in mind that we're not just talking about just physical infirmities, sicknesses, and things. We're talking about, are any of you afflicted in any way? Are any of you suffering even at the hands of men for the Gospel's sake? Let him call for the elders. Notice it's plural. The elders of the church. The second thing he says is let them and let these elders pray over him. And thirdly, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And that's important. It's in the name of the Lord that they anoint. It's not anything in the oil. It's not the oil itself. But it's in the name of the Lord. There's no power other than in the Lord. No power of healing. I believe it's really a a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's a point of contact. It's a it's a touching. It's a it's a uh, maybe a, a getting a person to exercise some faith. But you see, even if I ask people to come down here for prayer, quite often that's an exercise in faith on your part to have somebody anoint you with oil and pray over. That's an exercise in faith on your part, as well as the elders that are standing here to pray over you. Anointing somebody with oil in the name of the Lord is also an act of obedience. The elders are told to do so. It's an act of faith, an act of obedience. It's really God giving the authority to those elders to pray over those that are suffering. Those that are sick. And even those that have committed sins. I believe we pray in faith for the sick, knowing that our God is able to save. God is able to to do a miracle. He's able to heal. He's able to forgive man of his sins. But when it's all said and done, it's all a work of God. God is the one that's doing it, not the elders. We're here in the name of the Lord. He's the healer. He's the forgiver. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confessing our trespasses. Body ministry. Within the church. Praying for one another that you may be healed. This is another area that has gotten off. People have done it wrong. Theologically wrong. Confessing our trespasses to one another. 
Some translations read, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, when I confess my sin, I need to confess it to God. If I've trespassed against you, if I've done something wrong against you, if I've brought a fault against you, I need to go to you. And there are times within the body of Christ where there is sin, unconfessed sin, there are things that need to be dealt with. It could always come into question, are there things in my life that are causing me this pain in life that I need to get right? There's a healing in confessing our faults, isn't there? There's healing in confessing our faults and the injuries that we have done to others. And you know, I'm going to say this, that sometimes the only way that you're going to get released from the guilt that you carry around and maybe some of the other things that are just in your heart, the only way you're ever going to get released is if you go to that person and make it right. I want you to think about that. It's not an option for a Christian to harbor these things inside when you've done something wrong against another, to just say, well, I just talked to God about it. He says, no, I want you go to go and talk to that person about it. Yeah, talk to me too, but admit what you've done and go to that person. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, you shall, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, often we come to this place of worship. We come before God with songs of worship. We come with hearts that are just wanting to... But meanwhile, we have all these things that need to be made right. And we're unwilling to make them right. The root of the word to confess means literally to say the same thing. To say the same thing. It means that in confession of our sin, we agree to identify it by its true name and admit that it's sin. It's coming to the grips with the fact of what I've done, who I violated, who I brought a fault against. On Wednesday night, I started sharing about the Welsh revival of 1904. The man, Evan Roberts, who was the revivalist in this revival, God had raised this man up in a very powerful way. 
It was during this revival in Wales there that Evan Roberts would start each one of these revival meetings with these four things. This is the first one on the list. Confess any known sin to God and put away any wrong done to others. By the way, within a nine-month period, there was over 100,000 people that came to Christ during the 1904 Welsh Revival. Over 200,000 over the course of that time. God changed the face of a nation during that revival. Evan Roberts says we need to confess any known sin to God and put it away Put any wrong done to others away. Number two, put away any doubtful habits that you have. Things that you're not sure the gray areas. Put them away. Don't do them. Number three, obey the Holy Spirit promptly. And then lastly, number four, confess Christ openly. We're actually doing all of that today. In one sense or another. We can come confessing. We can put away those things that the Lord is convicting us about. We can obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit today. We can confess Christ openly. We can go out. You can come to the evangelism class after service and prepare yourself. I want to be a mouthpiece for Christ. Confession should be made to the one you sinned against. It's not just to be done in a private session between you and God. That's important to know. That's not how God calls us to get things right with one another. Sometimes I've seen firsthand this happen. God even calls somebody that has sinned against the church come up in front of all the people and confess their sin to the whole body. Wow. Confess your sin before the whole church. You're an elder in this church. You're a leader in this church and you've sinned against this church. And you need to lay it out right before the people. Why? Why would God want to humiliate somebody to bring them in front of the people? Because there's a healing that'll come. I've seen a church healed through that confession. I've seen an individual life healed through confessing their fault to the whole body. And there is a healing that happens when you go to that brother or sister and you confess your fault that you've done against them or something you've done. There's a healing that takes place that will never take place if you don't. We read in the book of Acts that in chapter 19 that there were these Jews and Greeks that were dwelling in Ephesus and and we're told that fear came upon all of them and they were magnifying the Lord and, and it says that at that point that many of those that believed in Jesus Christ, they went out confessing and telling their deeds. And then it says, and many of those who practice magic, they brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the value and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And then look what it says. So the word of the Lord greatly uh, grew mightily and it prevailed. 
You see, as soon as all that was dealt with, God released His power through these people. And the Word of God was growing mightily and it prevailed. We have to get things right. We need to pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, in these verses that James is speaking here, I believe that we're talking about physical issues here, but I think we're also talking about spiritual issues. Physical and spiritual issues that need healing. James says that the pathway to healing is first to confess then pray. And then what will follow that? Healing. And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you need to get some things right with your spouse. Maybe you need to get things right with somebody here in the church. Maybe it's somebody outside the church. Family member, neighbor. It could be a whole host of people. Co-worker. You need to get something right. You weren't a good testimony. You weren't a good representative of Christ. You know, you walked on somebody. You did something. I need to get it right, Lord. You're convicting me of that now. You see, if this church is going to go forward in power, we've got to get it right. And so I want to give us all an opportunity to come up for prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Remember, I titled this message, Body Ministry. And I think that there are some here at a number of levels that might need a touch from the Lord, might need healing, might need forgiveness. This is a time for us to do that. It'll require faith on your part, obedience on your part, a willingness to come up and say, hey, I need prayer. And we're going to have people that'll come up. Those that are going to pray, I've asked a few, come on up. Just stand up here. Todd and Jeannie and Darren and Joe. and I, Come on up. Let's, let's be up here for one another. But as we're leading in worship here and Maybe you're not going to settle that here. Maybe you just have a physical issue that you need a touch of God, touch from the Lord on. Maybe you're physically you're needing a touch. Well, we can do that and we can anoint you with oil. Pray over you. And so I'm going to ask that you would all take a step of faith. I take a step of faith in asking you to do it. You need to take a step of faith and say, hey, I need that. I need this healing in my life physical, spiritual, whatever it might be. And so let's, let's worship our Lord. Let's